You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. You are about to witness the shortest intro in the history of the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast because we have a very, very special guest on this week, and we talked for a very long time. So I don't want to cut any of that out, so I'm going to cut my intro a little short this week. This week, we are talking to my great-uncle Harvey. So this is my mom's uncle, my grandpa's brother, however you want to look at it. And uh, Harvey's always had a very special place in my heart because uh, we used to both hunt my grandpa's land back in the day. And Harvey was just so helpful to me. He used to, you know, give me updates on where the deer were, give me tips and tricks, um, just kind of showed me the ropes. Uh, He used to let me sleep in his camper that he had up there, which was a great uh, blessing to me because usually I would just sleep in my truck when I was up there, you know, in high school and stuff. And uh, one morning he even woke me up in time for me to go kill at that time what was the biggest deer of my life. Uh, it was, uh, I believe it was 17 degrees, if I remember right. Was sleeping in that little camper, no no heat, no insulation. Uh, and so I had overslept because I was just freezing. But he knocked on the door, talked me into going to hunting. And uh, I actually hunted one of his stands and killed a gigantic buck. Uh, so, yes, I just I can't thank Harvey enough. And so I went to his house, sat down with him, took the microphone, and we just had a grand old time. He told me all kinds of stories. Uh, we talk about uh, growing up back in the 40s. Uh, we talk about hunting. Uh, you know, he remembers, like, before there really were white-tailed deer in this area. Um, he tells a story about his first deer, how it was actually up in uh, Montana, on the Montana-Canadian border. And one or two stories that have absolutely nothing to do with hunting, but are still incredibly entertaining. So I'm going to be quiet now. I hope you guys enjoy this. I sure did. And uh, so after a few words from our sponsors, we're going to get into my interview with Harvey Ritchie, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Summer's here, and bucks are starting to pack on those inches. It won't be long before you'll be able to identify those shooters that made it through last season, which means it's time to get a subscription to Deer Lab. It's time to start taking inventory and uploading those photos to Deer Lab. Deer Lab is your solution to organizing all those trail cam photos that are going to pour in over the next several months. I can't even tell you how many thousands of pictures I get every year, and Deer Lab is the perfect place to store them. Not to mention all the amazing data it helps you log and keep up with to help you pattern your next shooter buck. 
Check it out at DeerLab.com. The hardworking guys and gals at Arrowhead Land Company are really spreading their roots. From a brand new office to hiring more agents, they are doing whatever it takes to make your buying or selling experience the best it can possibly be. Whether you're looking for land in the piney mountains of eastern Oklahoma or the sand hills of western Oklahoma or maybe some nice fertile Red River country, they got you covered at Arrowhead Land Company. Look them up today. Give them a call. You won't regret it. Memorial Day weekend is come and gone, and if you're anything like me, the last place you wanted to take your boat was to a crowded lake with thousands of other people. If you're looking for a nice getaway, a nice secluded spot for you to go, catch some fish, and just be alone, check out privatewaterfishing.com. No rush, no crowds, no crowded boat ramps, over a hundred private lakes, 10 plus acre lakes for you to have all to yourself for an entire day. Check out privatewaterfishing.com to sign up for your membership and get to fishing. Howdy folks, welcome to another exciting episode. I got a special guest here with me today. Today I'm talking to my great uncle, Harvey Ritchie. How you doing, Harvey? I'm doing good. Good, good. Harvey, to start us off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, when were you born? Where were you born? Anything like that. Okay, I was born down in Fort Worth. Uh, uh, we lived out at Hashlett, out north of Fort Worth, and that was in 1939, and I'm 82 years old, about 82 and a half, <laughs> and uh, I've been pretty good in health ever since. Good, good, yeah. yeah. Glad you're still around, glad you're still here, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. <laughs> We've been talking about six months about doing this, yeah. so I'm glad we finally got to it, so... All right, well, I got a lot of questions for you, so hope you're ready. Okay. Um, but I, I want to go back in time here for a little bit. And so I want to talk about some of your earliest hunting memories. You know, were you running around the yard with a, a BB gun chasing rabbits? Or, you know, what, what are some of your earliest hunting memories? Okay, I guess uh, it kind of all started out back, uh, we had BB guns, had slingshots. I can't say what we used to call them back then, but... Anyway, uh, we, uh, we had BB guns, and then I got a twenty-two that my daddy bought uh, from Montgomery Wards for, I think he paid like $2.50 for a twenty-two single-shot crack shot. Mm -hmm. And I've given that to my granddaughter now. But uh, anyway, we hunted rabbits and all with that. And uh, also... Of course, my daddy had a cotton gin across the road from our house, and so we would tie a flashlight onto the barrel and uh, go over there at night and hunt rats. And you could see a rat running across the, on the building, and we had used a, what they call a little bird shots back in in the 22, and it'd kill a rat, but it wouldn't knock a hole in the tin, but... Anyway, if the rat got into the view of the little flashlight, well, then you pull the trigger and you had a rat. So, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. What about, like, squirrels and stuff? Did y'all do any squirrel hunting? No, no, not back then. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, because I was, I was a little. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, anyway. Were, we, there, were there cottontails around, or was it all jackrabbits? No, then? it was all cottontails, oh, sir. Oh, cottontails. Yeah. Gotcha. We didn't get to jackrabbits till we moved up to Oklahoma. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. 
Well, let's move up to Oklahoma. So, okay. uh, how old were you when you moved, and where'd y'all move to? We moved up to uh, oh, Liberty, Oklahoma, in the Liberty Bottom. We were uh, down in the Red River Bottom there, the river circle of the ranch. We had this Kimball form released, and uh, it belonged to... Kay Kimball, who had, uh, now it's that Kimball Museum down there at Fort Worth and all, and uh, he and my father were friends, and we leased that, moved up there because of the, a deal had come out with polio, and uh, it was worse than this epidemic we got now, and so Daddy wanted to get us away from the town where the, they was having a lot of polio around that area and so we moved up there and uh, so we uh, that's when I started in doing a little more hunting and we, we'd go out and shoot jackrabbits at night off the alfalfa fields and stuff like that gotcha. and then we started in hunting a few coyotes and stuff and then got into duck hunting and all on the river there. There's a river circled around us for seven miles, and we were living right in the center of the loop there. Gotcha. What river was that? Red River. Oh, it was the Red River. Yeah, yeah. So where's Liberty at? It, it, Liberty is, um, let me think, it's, of course, we were, we were east of Denison, Texas, Uh and about halfway between Denison and Bonham, there's a bridge over on Highway 78 north of Bonham. Mm-hmm. We were about halfway between it, and they was a little town of Hendricks, Oklahoma. But there was an old railroad bridge that had a car bridge on it there by Hendricks. Gotcha. And uh, that's just what you had to cross to go back to Denison. Okay. And, and it that bridge went all the way across Red River, hanging on the side of the railroad bridge. And it was only like nine foot wide mm-hmm. with the banisters. So if you crossed it with a truck, you had to fold your mirrors in and all to go across it. Gotcha. Okay, okay. Uh, while you were talking, I looked up Liberty, Oklahoma, and it came up by Tulsa. That's why I was confused. No, no. Uh, Liberty was just a little community. It was a store, grocery store there and a little school that uh, was a two-teacher school up to the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man and woman, she taught uh, first, second, and third grade, and he taught uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and eighth grade. Each grade was a different row in the room. Gotcha. Everybody's in the same room. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they was two rooms. The lady had her kids in one room and he had his in the other but every every row was a different uh, grade gotcha yeah now what what high school did you graduate from up at uh bonham bonham okay yeah gotcha. Gotcha. yeah i went from liberty up to actually went to school at actually okay that's what i thought and then we transferred moved over to bonham when gotcha. we built our house over there and i went uh my sophomore and uh well, let's see, yeah, I went my sophomore, junior, and senior year in Bonham. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. 
then went to Oklahoma State to college. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Yeah. All right, I'm back on track now. I'm with okay. you. All right. Uh, so I got a few questions. So uh, when y'all moved up there, were there deer then? I mean, like, did you see one ever once in a while? Or were they kind of unheard of? Or not when we moved up there, there wasn't any. Uh, it was later on that we saw some up north of us, up them north of seventy eight over there. But uh, Daddy had bought a pasture up there and. Uh, he was feeding cows, and all of a sudden a doe showed up and come to eat with the cows. But that was the first deer we'd seen around there. Yeah. And uh, so we, but they they gradually then started getting more of them in there, and, and then we started into hunting them more. Yeah. What year would that have been, if you can remember? Oh, uh, probably in the late fifties. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> what about turkeys? They wasn't in there for a while, but they finally got a few in, and a little after that, probably sixties. Gotcha. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> growing up on the Red River, I'm going to assume you did a lot of catfishing and other fishing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was another thing. Uh, this friend. I had two friends that we would go, we set out trot lines there on the river, and we'd go over and run them every morning and then in the evenings, run our trot lines. But uh, this is something I don't imagine many teachers would do nowadays, but we, our homeroom teacher had given me a key to his house. And so we'd go run our trot lines and then come back by his house and go in and clean the fish and then put them in his freezer. Then that evening we'd go back by and we'd get us some fish to take home and we'd leave the other there for him. But we had a key to his house for like a year or so there. And I don't think any teacher nowadays <laughs> would, so would, would give a kid, <laughs> one of their students, a key to their house. <laughs> uh, was it all catfish? And this is something I thought of yesterday because uh, I was fishing down the road over here. Uh, was bass fishing like a thing back then? Did... Not not that much. Uh-uh. It was mainly you fish for catfish, something you yeah. to eat. You were, know? were there bass there, just nobody cared about them? Uh I don't think it was that many bass in the river there then. Yeah. It was more uh, uh, catfish and carp and stuff like that, rough fish, yeah. gar yeah. and stuff. What yeah. about like in farm ponds or were, were there that many farm ponds around back then? There were a few, but nobody, you know, yeah. stocked them or anything. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So y'all were much more worried about getting something you could, you could put in the deep fryer? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Gotcha, gotcha. What were you using to catch the catfish? We would use uh, chicken gizzards and uh, stuff like that, uh, leftover things. And then we'd make up once in a while uh, some stink bait that we'd fix up on ourselves. But uh, that was the main thing. And uh, now once in a while we'd use grasshoppers and all but uh the main deal and then sometimes we'd go out and sing some crawdads but uh gotcha. biggest deal was 
you know, we could get chicken gizzards pretty easy. <laughs> Would y'all get those from the grocery store? Yeah. 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 What was y'all's, if you had to kind of put like a ratio on it, what was y'all's, just the, what you would eat, you know, how much of it came from the grocery store, how much of it would you, you know, hunt, fish, grow yourself? Oh, well, mother and daddy, they, most of it came from the grocery store or from a calf or something that we raised on the farm, yeah. you know, beef that we raised. Yeah. And all, but uh, they raised, you know, they had, butcher a calf every year and stuff and then maybe you know a hog and stuff mm -hmm. and all but uh, most of it I mean they I know back during the, when the war broke out back in World War II and they put us on rations well uh, daddy he butchered a calf and mother canned most of that meat you know to preserve it and put it in shelves in the storm cellar down there. But uh, that was the main way they could preserve it back in before they got a freezer and all. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, later on you started hunting deer more. When would that have been? You know, when did they, was there a season, first off? Yeah. It was a regulated season? Yeah, so yeah. When, when, when did that start? When, when I was in high school, it's when I really, some friends and I, we started hunting deer. And uh, that would have been along in, uh, along 50, 55, 56, along in there. Gotcha. And there was some government land up there by Bonham that had deer on it. And that's where we, we started hunting over there on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they just, that's where the the most deer was over in that area, gotcha, gotcha. and uh, so we we started hunting at the end. When you started hunting them, I mean, did you have any knowledge of how? Did y'all just walk around? Or? Yeah, just walked around, started <laughs> slipping through the woods. Yeah, yeah, we had no idea. And <laughs> we'd just start in. We'd park our car and start in and just easing down through the woods and. Uh, Hoping to see one, you know, we were surprised, you know, we was excited if we even saw one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's much less if we shot one. <laughs> did y'all, I mean, did y'all like consider the wind? Did y'all wear camouflage or was it just mm -hmm. no? No, we didn't. There wasn't anything like camouflage. We just wore Levi's and stuff and uh -huh. headed out. Yeah. We really didn't. We, uh, we went into some areas that we didn't know anything about. And I know one time we went in one big track of woods over there, and it was a cloudy day. There wasn't no sunshine or nothing. And we made a loop, and we came back, and we actually crossed the road that we were parked on, went over on this other track of land. Didn't We still thought we was going south, and we were, had gone east, and... Then we came back around and crossed the road again and come back off in this creek bottom and come up through there and we jumped some deer out. But anyway, we ended up coming back out pretty close to where we had stopped. <laughs> and then after we got to checking, we had made a big dog leg in there. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that first deer, whether it was you or your buddies, you know, when 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 were you a part of your first deer kill? 
Um, I think probably the first one was uh, a friend of ours that uh, he killed a doe. And uh, he killed it. I had a, my daddy had a double barrel 10 gauge shotgun. And uh, so he, this boy didn't have a gun. So we loaned him that double barrel 10 gauge. And uh, he, we didn't have buckshot then, it was just bird shot. And so anyway, we didn't think, you know, of all of us, because I'd borrowed a gun, a rifle from a friend. Anyway, we were all hunting, and so this boy had gone into the woods a ways and just sat down because he really didn't think he'd have a chance. But this doe came by. And uh, he pulled both barrels on that <laughs> double gauge shot, that shotgun, and killed the doe, and took it back and uh, to the car. But he was the only one that got a, a deer, <laughs> and he killed it with a shotgun. <laughs> what what kind of rifle were you using? I had a. It was a twenty-five thirty-five lever action Winchester that a guy had, and I I'd used it some, mm-hmm. and uh, then later on, well, I got uh, got my own gun, mm-hmm. but that was that my first gun, yeah. and it was old, yeah. <laughs> and well, what was your first year? I would. The first one I ever, to be honest, uh, the first one I ever shot was uh, up in Montana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I went home, a good friend of mine, and I roommate, was in college, and he lived at Sweetgrass, Montana. And so I went home with him uh, for Thanksgiving, and so we got up there, and... Uh, this boy came in. Uh, his this boy that I went up there with, his mother and daddy owned a ranch over in Canada, but they had uh, they owned a couple of bars over there in Sweetgrass. Well, this one boy came in from the ranch, and uh, he was in high school, and he was told us he said. All right, we got, you know, a ranch down over here, but it's over on the Canadian side of the border. But said, we don't let anybody hunt in there, and we got Buku's a big mule deer. Mm-hmm. And he said, so y'all can come up there, you know, we'll let Harvey shoot a mule deer. And so the next day, it was a blizzard on, snow was blowing and all, but this one boy that my friend knew, he came into town. He had a four-wheel drive Ford pickup. First time I was ever around a four-wheel drive pickup. But so we all got in it and left and went over there. And uh, they were deer jumping up out of the coolies and running. But so we, he and I, we finally went up, walked up a draw there, and a big mule deer jumped up. And uh, I shot it, and it 
come down off the bluff, and we drug it out and loaded it in the back of the pickup. The only catch to this story, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't, none of us had a hunting license, <laughs> and I was out of state. <laughs> All right, so and you may have to edit this out, but anyway. We come back to town, and Bill and I was going to leave the next day to come back to school. So we decided, you know, we'd, because uh, we'd already took the deer to out to their ranch for the ranch hands to butcher, but we kept the head at the big rack, and it was, it's, it was a big, nice rack. And so we decided, well, the safe thing to do was go out to the dump ground there from and uh, cut the horns off, and we I just take the horns home with me, and we throw the head away. All right, we so we went out there. Well, you had to go. The dump grounds was back over in Canada again, and uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the little community there that was Canadian, but anyway. Is on the north side of the border from Sweetgrass. And, but we went to the dump grounds, Bill and I and these other two boys. Well, went down there and uh, got their saw out to saw the horns off. Well, we looked up on the hill, and there's a jeep had pulled up up there, but we didn't think nothing about it. And we sawed the horns off, and threw the head away and put the horns back in the back of the pickup and we left. Well, when we went by that Jeep, it was a game warden, <laughs> border patrol. I said game warden, but it was a border patrol. Anyway, he saw it. But anyway, he was the one then that called the game warden because he had seen us down there. And uh, so he had recognized this one kid and... He lived there in sweet in sweet grass, and so in a little bit that evening, well, we were out, and uh, this boy come running over, and he said, Hart said the game warden has come by my house, and said that they uh, they got the head of that deer. <laughs> they saw the border patrol saw us cutting the horns off. And he said, my daddy is about to throw a fit because they're talking about arresting all of us. And so anyway, we circled around and went back to his house. Game warden was there. And uh, so they had come down and had stopped us really before we got back there. And uh, we opened up the trunk of the car and we had the horns. Well, they had the head and the horns and the head matched up. And so I said, okay, who shot this deer? Well, this good friend of Bill's, and he'd become a good friend of mine, his name was Danny McAlpine. And he said, I shot it on, because they had a bunch of land out there. He said, I shot it earlier on, uh, you know, our place. And uh, because by this time the deer season had closed. And the day before or so, and he said, so, you know, I was giving 
Harvey the Horns to take home. They said, okay. So anyway, then we ended up going back by this other boy's house and game warden was there. Because <laughs> his daddy had done call him and said, we're going to get this straightened out before they leave. And so we went in and he said, okay, <laughs> who shot the deer? <laughs> and I said, I did. <laughs> If that was the second person that shot this poor deer. <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, he said, okay, then I'm going to have to take you to jail tonight. And Bill said, wait a minute. And so he went back across the road, and he uh, got some money from his daddy, come back over, and he said, okay, you know, we'll put up the bail. We'll come in tomorrow and get this settled up. And so we, uh, next day before we left to go back home to school, we went by and, and they took us in and had court and <laughs> they fined us $250 a piece and 30 days in jail, but they had suspended jail sentence if we paid the 250 <laughs> And so... Bill had a checking account in a bank there next door, and so we went over and got the money and paid them, and we left. But uh, the game warden had promised they'd give us our deer back, head back by the horns, but they never did. <laughs> but that was a that was my first experience <laughs> first with that. Deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. yeah, that's quite a story. Yeah, so I that was not good. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, I always made sure I, I was legal. That's good. That's a good lesson. Yeah. Uh, what about hogs? When did hogs show up on the picture? Hogs, uh, they didn't get there till here lately, though. Um, I guess we started having problems with them when planting corn. And uh, let me think. Uh that was good grief. The late late seventies or so. No, that early. I, I would have thought it'd been and, later. And uh, there was a few started showing up then, and uh, but they then they got really thick back in you know in the eighties yeah. and all. But uh, uh, there was a few you know popped up, but the main deal was back in. Uh, Back in the eighties, gotcha, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. but they got really bad about the time you'd plant corn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, switching gears back to deer, when would you say deer hunting really got big? You know, like when when did they have you know seasons and people were wearing camo and and like really actively hunting deer? Uh. I would say, because I'm 56, um, long and probably long in the late 60s, you know, early 70s, something along in there. And back then, was it, if it's brown, it's down, or was it just you shoot, shoot what you saw, or were people starting to hold out, you know, try to kill a buck, or? Yeah, they... The, to start with, everybody was just excited to see a deer, yeah. and they had shooted anything, and uh, but then 
uh, when I moved back up there to the farm, and uh, that was, uh, let me think, the early 80s, then we started in trying to uh, do a better job of managing the deer and look, you know, hunting more for the bigger horns. Yes. We'd pass over the smaller stuff and gotcha. might go for a couple of years and not even shoot one just to wait on one that we knew was out there. Yeah. That was in yeah. the 80s? Yeah. Gotcha. Now, back yeah. then, was there like a one-deer limit? What, what was that like? Yeah, and over in Oklahoma, it, it the rifle season was just like a week long. Mm -hmm. It was real short. Yeah. It wasn't like Texas. Mm -hmm. And you had uh, black powder season for a week or so, and then rifle season. Mm -hmm. And archery season lasted longer. Yeah. But uh, then, so you'd get you a black powder gun if you was really serious about hunting. Mm -hmm. And uh, hunt, you could hunt for like two weeks, and then it switched over to rifle season. But you could still use a black powder during rifle, but gotcha. but you couldn't use rifle during black powder. Yeah, I see an old uh, bow sitting over here on the wall right here. Yeah, old uh, wheeled compound bow. Yeah, uh, was that from the eighties? Would that be later? No, that was. Um, that was earlier. Early. I, yeah, my wife bought me that out at Deming, and that was, uh, goodness, that was in the early 70s. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you ever hunt with it, or did you just have it for fun? No, I I went a couple of times, didn't, yeah. I didn't ever kill anything. And Now, I've got another bow over there. Uh, it's just an old bow. I had it when I was a kid. So that one over there is probably like 70, 70 something years old. Mm. <laughs> Has it ever taken out a rabbit or anything? I hit a cat with it one time. <laughs> <I hit> a <laughs> with a blunt arrow, didn't, it? didn't yeah. hurt it, but I scared it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, was anybody was anybody bow hunting back in the 80s around here? Uh, that, uh, yeah, they were, in by the 80s, they were starting to, you know, yeah, yeah hunting. Uh, now, I've got a, uh, I had a crossbow for a while, mm -hmm. and uh, then I've got, uh, I've got a better bow than that, I think, in a bow case back there that I'd come up with. Uh, it's got the, all that balancing stuff and all yeah. on it, yeah. um, but I keep it in a case. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just hung those just for decoration. Yeah. Well, I just want to hear a couple stories. Uh, so I, I got one story in mind. I remember we were at a, a farm show one time, and I think my brother had told me you had killed a nice deer. And, you uh, pulled a picture out of your wallet. You said you kept it in there with your baby photos yeah. of a big eight point. So if you wouldn't mind telling me that story, and then we'll get into a few others. I guess that was probably that deer mm -hmm. horns up there. And that was one that I had uh, I, I'd hunted for it for, I guess, nearly two years. And 
I finally had it narrowed down pretty well where it was, you know, tracking. And uh, so I set up my stand, uh, and uh, then I heard it. Uh, it was rutting with a doe, and uh, that's the first time I'd heard that noise. And uh, then I saw that the doe came out, and uh, then a minute the buck came out following that doe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I shot it, and it fell in some weeds, and the doe run. <clears throat> but when it fell, I lost sight of it. I didn't know, and I saw the doe running, and I didn't know if I'd hit the buck or not. But uh, I got, I walked over there, and uh, sure enough, I'd hit it. So I went back and got my four wheeler and went and drug it back to the trailer and loaded it up and uh, called my wife and she said, Harvey, it sounds like you're about to have a heart attack. What's going on? <laughs> I said, I just got old big boy. I was tickled. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So that, yeah, it was the biggest whitetail I'd shot at that time. Uh-huh. Now, have yeah. you got a bigger one since then? No. No? No, that, that's my biggest one. Yeah. I got I got uh, four across there that are pretty good, but uh, then I've got some little ones that I shot with the uh, black powder guns, mm-hmm. you know. And so then in between all those deer racks, you got a big old buffalo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell me yeah. that story. Yeah, that uh, that's a hybrid buffalo. Uh, how that came about was that uh, there was a fish farm that was uh, west of where I lived, up the creek from Bonham, uh, Lake Bonham, and uh, they raised catfish and all, but they also uh, let people come out there and fish out of their ponds, and uh, so they started uh, stocking some uh, hybrid buffalo for to make cheap food for people, and let them catch those at a, for a cheaper price. Well, they did didn't get that big in their ponds, but uh, it came a big rain and an overflow. Everything flooded, and our house flooded there at Lake Bonham and all. And uh, but anyway, undoubtedly that fish washed out of the fish pond come down the creek into Lake Bonham and uh, so we had a boat dock out into the water there and the kids would fish off of it well they had left one of their riding reels with the line still out and that fish had swam by and hung up I'm pretty sure it was the same Anyway, it hung around and drug the rod off into the lake. But my son and I, we got a little Walmart trot line, a little cheapo, and set it out. We run it from our dock to our neighbor's dock and baited it out. And uh, so next morning, I got up to go to eat breakfast. And my wife all of a sudden looked out the window and said, Harvey, there's a 
big fish just rolled out there. And so I turned and looked, and I saw it roll again in the water. And I thought uh, we had a big catfish because I didn't know about to being a buffalo in there. And so I called a couple of friends of mine, asked them if they had had a big net, could they come out and hit me that I had a big catfish on their little trot line. And so uh, Lee McBroom and David came out and brought a big old dip net. And so we got in there in a little kid's little aluminum flat-bottom boat that we'd used to bait the line out with, but we got in it, Lee and I did, and started going down the trot line, and we that thing rolled up, and I got it in the dip net, and so we just cut the trot line off on both sides of it and started to the bank, and David walked out and waded out in the water and got it and drug it over on the bank, and we saw it had scales on it we knew it wasn't a catfish <laughs> and we didn't still didn't know what it was <laughs> and <clears throat> so we took it loaded it up and i took it to the farm to show it around and uh, i thought it was a big carp and then my daddy saw it and he said all right that's a buffalo but in the meantime we had gone by this bait store and this guy had looked at it and so he'd give us a bag of ice to put on it and uh, help preserve it. But he called the game wardens and told them about, you know, the big fish. And so they came out. And uh, when we got back home, well, I called them back, and they came over and measured it out. And we took it and had it weighed and all. And uh, they said if we had a call them when we first caught it before it shrunk it'd probably been a state record <laughs> but it was a record for the lake bottom at the time mm -hmm. and how big is it uh let's see it's it was weighed 53 pounds i think mm -hmm. it was gotcha. and but the girth around it i forget how big it's mm -hmm. it's several feet around the mm -hmm. belly of it but but it was just hooked in its little old lip with one little hook uh -huh. you know and uh, but they're bottom feeders, and mm -hmm. they call them a bugle mouth carp or something like that. Some of them, but it's uh, it was it was fun, and so I took it to Dallas and had it mounted, and uh, taxidermist down there, uh, he it took him a good while to dry out. To, skin and I'll get the fat out of it but because he didn't have you know a model of it or anything to go by he just had to use styrofoam and all but uh, he told people that he had that it was a uh, gizmagoo that he caught down on the Amazon River in <laughs> South America <laughs> tell him about the bass that he had yeah there. yeah he he had some of these bronze-colored bass I saw, and I didn't know that they had to paint the colors when they mounted them because I didn't know they you know, just dried out and turned around. But he had several bass there that was, they were just bronze-colored, and I asked him, I said, what kind of bass is that? He said, that's old Cuban bass. He said, 
That's a bronze Cuban bass. He said, I caught those over in Cuba. <laughs> we didn't know any difference. But he, he'd give everybody a line. But anyway, I've had it mounted for been a good many years. And I have broke part of the little tail back there a little bit. But anyway, it's held up pretty good to be that long. I mounted on that board myself. Then, uh I'd say it's as big around as maybe two basketballs. I mean, way bigger than one. Uh, yeah, it's it's probably yeah. Just to give people an idea. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah it's 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 fat old fish, but <laughs> uh, I guess it's probably twice as big as normal yeah. buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want you to tell me just a story that you like telling too. Give me, give me one of your old hunting stories, fishing stories, whatever. Well, got. I've got probably more than a hunting or fishing. <laughs> now, I I used to do a lot of flying uh-huh. and with airplanes and stuff, and I had a good friend that uh, he uh, uh, furnished the planes. Uh, for like Bye Bye Black Sheep series on TV uh-huh. and he flew in uh, MacArthur he furnished planes for it he had uh, like B-17, B-25s mm. he had P-38 uh, not a P-38 he had a P-51 Mustang had a Corsair and uh, a Grumman Duck uh had a lot of old T6s and stuff. And uh, anyway, he'd buy and trade in these old planes. Uh, so he ended up, they had a, a F9F Navy jet up at uh, Norman, Oklahoma, at the college that they had been using to teach kids about working on jet motors and stuff. Had a little of the skin off of it and all, but he had ended up and traded for that plane. And he needed to get it back to Paris, Texas. And so, anyway, I'd been, I was swapping out with him. Uh, I'd go out and work on some of his planes because he did air shows and all this. And I'd work on them. And then he, in turn, he would give me flying lessons. And I had my own little Taylor Craft airplane, a little two-seater. And uh, so I'd uh, go out there and, and we'd trade out. And then uh, he, there was a boy from Perrin Air Force Base. So he was an instructor over there, a jet pilot. And he would come over and he was giving me my uh, instrument training and all. But it was all just, no money was changing. It was just all swap-out deal. And, uh, but I'd flown with them because after, I, like, I'd tune up that P-51 motor and all, and you had to retark the heads and set the valves and all between times. And I've flown with them in air shows. I've, I've been in that P-51 flying upside down down a runway, you know, 250 mile an hour upside down, 50 foot off the ground and doing all kinds of stuff, looping and coming around, let the wheels bounce off the ground and stuff. But crazy stuff that I couldn't, probably shouldn't have never lived through. But 
anyway, we flew under power lines and over power line and stuff. And uh, but he traded for this jet, so I had my mail truck. And so I said, "All right, I'll help you get that plane back to Paris." And so there was a farmer out there in the country that had a homemade trailer that he had built to a truck trailer that he had built to haul a mechanical cotton picker mm-hmm. with. And it just had a straight axle in the back and single tires, but he'd take the axle out and let the trailer down to drive his cotton picker. Then he'd jack that back up and slide the axle back in and pin it. I mean, it it was rough built, mm-hmm. but no, wasn't licensed, nothing. I mean, and so anyway, he said, y'all can use that. <clears throat> so we had a piece of channel iron that was wide enough to fit the landing gear, but it had a ramp down the middle where we could run the nose gear of the jet down the middle of it. <clears throat> so we'd go up there. I'd take my truck and pull this old trailer and uh, we get up there, and and uh, it was one of those jet that folded, the wings folded, you know, to fit on an aircraft carrier. And so to pull the pins to take the wings off, you had to fold them. And another dumb thing we did, uh, we hooked up in the wheel wells. We got found the hydraulic lines, and we didn't have a hydraulic pump, but we had a bottle of oxygen and one way and blowed the thing up but we hooked that oxygen bottle up to that hydraulic line cracked it on and blowed that wings <laughs> on each side and, and usually oxygen when it hits oil it'll blow up but anyway we tilted those wings up and pulled the pins and took them off and we got the plane loaded on my that trailer, and we loaded the ends of the wings on his pickup, and uh, so. But the rest of the plane, you know, the tail section and back wing, you know, everything was there, and we were, I think, close to close to fourteen foot wide with the, you know the landing gear and all out there, and the stubs of the little wing, and and we got some. Light clearance lights that you'd buy back then, the little cone shaped ones, you'd buy them like 50 cents a piece or something. And uh, so we got some of those because this trailer didn't have no lights. And we strung wire and we we had a little clearance light out on each end of the little, the main wing part. Had one in the tailpipe of that jet for a tail light going back. And we left out of there, got on Interstate 35 heading south. My truck was a green-colored, kind of army green, but I had a U.S. mail sign on it on the front over the windshield. And here we was going down, you know, Interstate 35, no tags, no permit, nothing, over with, over hike, everything, and... You know, Highway Patrol, a couple of them went by, and this was back when the Korean War kind of started. And so I guess they thought it was a military (laughs) deal moving. 
and there was nobody ever bothered. And so we came, and we cut off and went across and went through Ada. And this at night we went down right down Main Street downtown Ada. Had to dodge the red lights and stuff to keep from pulling wires down. Cops were looking at us and all week, so went right on through town. And so everything was good. We got we got nearly back to Durant. I was going out on the ramp on the road going to the Blue River Bridge and uh blew out a tire on the trailer. And uh so here we was out on this, you know, two lane road. Wasn't no shoulder or nothing, couldn't get off. And we stopped and uh, got to check to see what was going on. And Junior and them pulled up. They had turned around and come back. And they was stopped across the road over there way. Anyway, he got out. And so the boy that was with him took the pickup, went on up to make a U-turn to come back. Well, all of a sudden, here come this car flying down through there. Junior and I had to jump out of the way to get keep from getting hit. And that car went right beside the tailpipe on that jet and hit the other back tire on her trailer, bent out. But it, their lights went out, they spun around, and it busted their battery and all in her car, but tore up the front end. But it bent her back axle on the trailer. But it was three drunk guys in that car and so they get out you know if we go over there and they were carrying on inside the car for a good bit they get out and we knew they was drunk as skunks and that one said what have we done hit and I said y'all hit a jet airplane he said what's a jet airplane doing out on the road I said what are you doing out here drunk and so it Anyway, Junior was trying to get them to let us push her car off the road and get it out of the way because they had the other lane block. And anyway, finally a truck came through going to the back north. To, and so we, the truck driver, Junior gave him some money to, and two of these old fellers was willing to get in to go back to Ada. They were out of Ada. And he said he'd take them up there and drop them. But the guy that owned the car, they said, no, we got to get a highway patrol down here, you know, to take. And I said, you don't want a highway patrol. You're drunk. He said, no, you, that's the law. you got to get a highway patrol. And finally, the guy had a dairy up there, dairy farm, not very far from there, and he had seen all the commotion down. He had come down. So I, he and I got to talking, and I said, I know the guy over at Kennefix that's got the gin over there. I said, maybe we can go over and borrow a tire to go on a, a trailer so we can get on out of the way. And so he said, okay, I'll drive you over there. And so he and I left and went to Kennefix. Well, we come back. We didn't get the tire, cause it, and, but we got back. We noticed the car was off in the road, off in the bar ditch down there, and depot ditch. But, uh, it, but the guy was gone. And so, anyway, this 
guy with that had the dairy, he said, all right, if you can back that back up the road, then y'all could pull it up there and, you know, park it behind my dairy barn. Nobody can see it. And you can pull your axle and go, you know, get it fixed and come back and get it later. We said, okay. Well, I still hadn't asked Junior what had happened, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, we left. Because Junior, he was a Baptist preacher. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, I asked him, I said, Junior, what happened? You know, how'd y'all manage to get rid of him and get the car off in the ditch? He said, I finally told him, I said, you want to go get a highway patrol? Get my pickup and we'll go find you one. And he said, I got him in my pickup. I took him up the road about 10 miles. And I said, I got to stop and pee. And he says, I do too. I need to. And he Junior said, when he got out, <laughs> I took off. <laughs> he said, I left him in the bar ditch. <laughs> Went up the road and turned around and shot back by him. He said, I left him out there. And so... He said, we come back and pushed his car off the road, got the road cleared up. But we parked it up there and got everything fixed up, and we came back. That guy that had the dairy, he said, okay. He said, the next day, I looked down there, and there was a highway patrol. There was lights flashing and all. He said, I would have given anything to go down there and listen to that guy telling them that he had hit a jet airplane out there in the middle of that road last night <laughs> because there wasn't nothing left around there. <laughs> so, but we got it back to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an experience. Uh -huh. uh, I meant to ask you earlier... Uh, uh, I want to talk about cotton a little bit. You know, cotton okay. something that's not around here anymore. Yeah. Uh, but your daddy had a, a gin. He had uh, seven gins. Seven gins. Yeah, daddy had he had uh, seven cotton gins there at the last. Uh, he also had a few ice plants, and uh, then he had a grocery store over there in the edge of Dallas years ago, in an ice plant there, but. Uh, he also he uh, had the power plant there at Haslett that generated the power for the town before Texas Power and Light came out, and he sold out to them to Texas Power and Light. But uh, his plant are they? Are you talking like the big squares? Yeah, yeah. They made the big blocks of ice, and yeah. they delivered ice around and then and sold a big chunks of ice, yeah. but. Uh, because that was before electric refrigerators. Uh -huh. And we had a great big icebox. I still got a little one over there. Mm -hmm. But um, Daddy then, uh, he uh, put in a refrigerating unit under the, our house was built up high off the ground, and he had the compressor and everything under the house and the cooling coils, he put them into the big icebox. And so we had one of the first electric refrigerators, <laughs> even though he had an ice plant. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, he he uh, uh, stayed busy with that. He liked, he bought and sold gin machinery and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Yeah. And I don't and uh And I I think I remember you being there. You've picked a bunch of cotton by hand, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. And then I had a mechanical picker. I I did a little custom picking with it. Yeah. Yeah. And run it and all. But uh There's a lot of folks today that will never know any kind of work like picking cotton uh, by hand. Uh uh-uh, uh, <laughs> no. Uh uh-uh. uh. And my 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 brother and I, and I've still got a little cub farm on tractor, but uh, Daddy bought us a cub farm on tractor back when we were kids, uh, back in the 40s, and uh, <clears throat> rented uh, 30 acres of land, and he'd have a neighbor there to he'd hire them to list it up in the rows, and Alan and I would. Uh, then we would plant the cotton one row at a time and then cultivate it through, throughout the whole deal. And uh, so we would uh, we'd go to school, and then in the evening when we come home, one of us would get on the tractor and go out and go to plowing while the other did their homework and their chores. And then we'd swap out, and we'd run till bedtime at night and uh, plowed. So we, we farmed... 32 acres of cotton with our little one-road tractor. <laughs> How old were you then? Yeah, I was just, uh, oh, eight or nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> he was younger, right? Huh? Alan was younger. No, he was a year oh, old. Oh, yeah. he was a year older. Yeah, okay. he liked eight days being a year older gotcha. than me. Gotcha, Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, we started driving when we were real young, and... Uh, I turned a truck over with a load of wheat when I was 13, <laughs> hauling wheat to Durant. Mm-hmm. And uh wonder I hadn't got killed. But uh, now we, uh, Daddy would let us go to town in a pickup and pick up a barrel of gas to haul back for the combines, but he wouldn't let us drive a car to town. <laughs> but uh, I started hauling gin machinery and stuff to... West Texas and all, you know, way before I ever had a driver's license yeah. in a truck. But uh, now, my father, he uh, he started out. His mother and daddy, his daddy never owned a car, and they were just sharecroppers. And daddy come up, you know, extremely poor. But he ended up got him a little truck, and. Uh, he went to Lubbock to go to college, and he went out there for a year or so, but uh, he drove his truck out there to go to school. Well, he's getting ready to come back home for the summer, so he was trying to pick up a load to haul back to help pay his gas. Well, there was an old fella out there that was wanting to move back to Fort Worth, move his family and all. And so Daddy agreed to haul his furniture and everything back. And this old man, he had an old, uh, I think it was a Model A Ford car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so anyway, he was going to follow her, and Daddy was hauling his furniture. Well, the old fella, he... He had a, had a chicken coop up on top of that old Model A Ford, and he put his, his chickens in there, 
But then he put a pig. <laughs> he had a pig. He put that pig in the, in the chicken cup. Well, they left, and no guy was following Daddy with the car behind them. Well, wasn't long till the pig done was eating chickens. <laughs> and, and so, anyway, they went on the ways, and then the poor old feller, it got dark, and uh, his lights went out on his car. And Daddy stopped and said, okay, you know, why don't you just wait here in the morning and I'll go on, you know, for, then you can come in. He said, no, I can see your taillights. You know, I'll follow you. And so went on down the road. Of course, roads wasn't very good back then, but uh wasn't long till he run off the road, turned his car over, <laughs> tore it up. And so they, Daddy stopped and they backed back and they got they tied on to the old boy's car, drug it out of the ditch, and so they towed it into the next little town. And the poor old feller, he uh, traded the car to a guy there at the filling station and had a little two-wheel trailer. And so he traded his car for that two-wheel trailer, and they hooked it on behind Daddy's pickup, and he loaded his rest of his stuff off the old car into the trailer. And he took, a, they had an old dining table. He took it, and he turned it upside down on the roof of Daddy's truck, and he put a blanket around it, and he put his two kids <laughs> up there in that... In that dining table with the legs sticking up, you know, wrapped with a blanket for them to ride on the roof. And he and his wife was riding in the truck with Daddy. Well, they, before they got to Fort Worth, it started raining. Daddy said, I never saw anybody have as much bad luck as that old man did in his life. And he said, here we come into town. His kids was up there like drowned rats riding on top of the roof of my truck. And it was raining and all of his furniture was getting wet. He said, it was a horrible trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so he, Daddy would get tears in his eyes of laughing so about that when yeah. he was telling about Well, I think we got time for one more good one. You got a. Uh, I'm trying to think if if I have a topic or if I just want to let you go again. Uh, I think I'll just whatever you want. All right. Well, I think I started telling you about. Uh, I, you know, of course, I'm 82 years old. My doctor says I'm better shaped than any patient he's got at my age, and. Uh, he told me years ago he'd swap blood with me. But uh, anyway, I've, I've been blessed. I've gone through a lot of things. I've had a lot. But uh, uh, I was married to the same lady for 51 years and uh, enjoyed life. And uh, But uh, I'm, uh, I'm a 
firm believer in the good Lord. I'm a religious person in that respect. I, you know, I have a drink and stuff, but I, the good Lord has watched after me. And uh, when I was a kid, well, I had a vision of him, and he told me I was a good little boy. And I told my mother, and from then on, and later on in life, well, I uh, had a friend that was up in the mountains there in New Mexico uh, trying to put in a plant up there to recycle the old tailings from the gold mines uh, when they hand-sorted the ore. And if it, because they had to haul that ore for good ways to get it to the stamping mills to mine it. And so if it wasn't good quality, they'd throw it out. Well, he had come up with a plan to grind this old ore, and they used some acid and stuff to uh, dissolve the gold out of it and all. And so he and his partner was up there, and they was running out of money and really didn't have that much experience about building stuff like that. And I'd built feed mills and gins and all. And my wife and I and Bobby, we were up there and started driving through looking at the mountains. And we went by, and so he started talking to us, and he was nearly in tears. He was down to his last dollars. And then, so I told him, I said, look, you know, I will uh, surely can keep an eye on my trucks, and I'll get a phone where I can talk to her from up here, but you know, I'll come up and I'll help you. He said, Harvey, I can't afford you. And I said, you don't have to pay me anything. You know, just when we get through with this, just pay me what you think is worth. And so I went up there and started out living in a horse trailer and uh, helped them. And then I got bought a fifth-wheel camper trailer and moved it up there, but I stayed up there for nearly a year helping them get it all set up and going, and but I had another vision while I was up there that uh, I was told I was doing the right thing, and so anyway helped them get that going, and uh, it was uh, quite an experience, and but that while I was up there, they was elk and all, and so I I went elk hunting and uh, I had a had a donkey that uh, would follow my own mare, and uh, we went back in the wilderness. There there was millions of acres up there, and if anything had happened, nobody knew where we was at, but. Uh, we went back in there and, and elk hunting, and, but uh, we camped one night. Uh, we was way up on the mountain and overlooking the river down on the, uh, below this there, and uh, uh, I had a little one-man tent, and I was in it, and had to, the donkey was just running free, had the mare staked out, and I'd put out some sweet feed for them. 
and there was some javelinas come in there during the night, getting the it that sweet what was left of it, rooting around. I woke up, and I could hear these hogs going on, but I'd had a nightmare, and I thought it like the donkey had laid down on my tent, and I was under. But I was so far down in my sleeping bag, I was about to smother because I was getting away from the hogs. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, when, when it, by morning, when I, I thought, if I didn't make it back out of here, I'll never get back up in here by myself again. But I found a match pair of elk horns. Mm -hmm. And so I tied them on the donkey. And uh, so... As I finally made it back out and was getting to my pickup and my trailer and all, well, as some people come by, you know, and they were looking like, man, that guy's done got him an elk. <laughs> 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 and I, I said, I ain't going back. <laughs> Not by myself. <laughs> and I learned a lesson there. You don't want to get back in that, that part. Yeah. And, all right, well, I got one more question for you, one little thing here. You got a microphone in front of you, and there's going to be, hopefully, a bunch of people listening to this, 82 years old. You got any just general life advice you want to throw out there to people? You know, uh, just anything you want. Yeah, I live life like every day counts that, you know, you never know if you're going to be here tomorrow. And I've known too many people that, wasn't here the next day, you know, that I knew that was younger. And uh, so I uh, in, enjoy life and uh, just uh, don't go by all this uh, stuff about all this food stuff, eating this and that, but eat a little of everything. <laughs> you know, enjoy the food, enjoy a little of everything, just be moderate, same way with having a drink. Be moderate with that. And, uh, uh, you know, go out and have fun. And, you know, I got a 28-foot wakeboard boat out here in the barn <laughs> that not many 82-year-old people need. <laughs> but we go out and have fun. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Well, Harvey, I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us. All right. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. That's going to do it for this week, folks. I hope y'all really enjoyed that conversation with my great uncle Harvey. Great guy. I really enjoyed going out there and spending some time with him. So we might have to do it again sometime, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Some great stories. He's a great storyteller and just an awesome guy. So once again, hope you guys enjoyed that. I will see you guys right back here next week on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.